Well, Maurice Sendak, I don't know if that name is familiar to you, but he is the author and illustrator of a book called Where the Wild Things Are. And uh, this was my absolute favorite uh, childhood book. I just remember my mom reading this book to me, you know, over and over again. And uh, Maurice Sendak, he received many letters from his young fans during his lifetime. And he told a friend that one of his favorite letters was a charming drawing that was sent in by a little boy's mother on behalf of her son. Uh, I loved it, he said, so much so that I drew a picture of a wild thing on a postcard and then sent it back to him. Wouldn't that be awesome to get, you know, a one-of-one illustration, a drawing from an author like this? Well, his mother wrote back, my, my son loved your card so much, he ate it. <laughs> you see, the little boy didn't care that it was an original drawing from a famous author. He saw it, he loved it, and he ate it. Kind of like one of the wild things, I guess. Well, the boy's mom said he was filled with so much joy when he received your postcard. Well, Sindak told his friend, he said, that to me was one of the highest compliments I ever received. I'm curious, what comes to mind when you hear that word joy? What comes to mind when you hear the word joy? The word joy appears over and over again in the scriptures. Some of my favorite examples are found in the Psalms. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. For some of you, that's the truth that you need to hear today. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Psalm 51, verse 10, uh, this is a psalm of David. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And then you jump to verse 12. David wrote, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Psalm 66 Verses 1 and 2, shout joyful praises to God, all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. We were able to sing in that way this morning, shouting for joy, singing about the glory of God's name. You jump over to the New Testament, we read that joy is actually a fruit of the Spirit, which means that Christians are to be known as people of joy. Are you known as a person of joy? Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So we talk about being fruit bearers. Well, what kind of fruit is that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, sometimes we struggle to understand the biblical view of joy because of the way it's defined in our culture today. We often confuse joy with another word. That word is happiness. We confuse the two. In the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12, this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed 
are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That word blessed is the Greek word, one of my favorite Greek words, makarios. And uh, it most accurately communicates the idea of having a kind of joy that is untouchable by the world. Not momentary happiness, but joy. Where happiness is circumstantial. It's a feeling or an emotion that tends to change with our circumstances. The Bible teaches us that joy is ultimately rooted in who God is and who we are in Christ. Uh, Happiness is receiving a -a one-of-a-kind drawing from a famous author and then eating it if you choose to do so. That's happiness. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit that God wants to grow in us to make us more like Jesus. It's something that the world and our circumstances cannot take away. And so as we continue with this series, What in the World Does a Christian Do? We're going to spend our time in Luke chapter 10, 17 through 24. We're going to talk about how we are called to be people of joy. At the beginning of chapter 10, you may remember, Jesus appointed 72 disciples to go ahead of him into all the towns and villages that he planned to visit. We learned that the harvest was great. But the workers were few. So these disciples, they were instructed by Jesus to pray to the Lord, who's in charge of the harvest, asking him to send more workers into the fields. As they prayed about these things, they were to go, teaching people everywhere about the kingdom of God. When they returned from their journey, even though they had to face some challenging and difficult circumstances, the Bible tells us that they joyfully reported to Jesus about everything God had done. This joyful report leads us into a passage that focuses heavily on this topic of joy and rejoicing and being joyful. See, there's joy in knowing that you're a child of God. There's joy in seeing His plans and His purposes fulfilled. There's joy in being an ambassador for Jesus. That's a theme we're going to see uh, run throughout chapter 10. I'd like to invite you to stand with me this morning um, as I read God's Word aloud. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. If you're able to, let's stand together. This is what we read. When the 72 disciples returned, here's that word, they joyfully reported to him. Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. And I love this. Listen to what Jesus says. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. At that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son 
and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then when they were alone, he turned to the disciples and he said this, Blessed are the eyes that see what you have seen. I tell you, many prophets and kings long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. They long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. And may the Lord add his, add his blessing to the reading of his word today. Amen? You may be seated. And so when the 72 disciples returned, right away the Bible tells us they returned with joy. They joyfully reported to Jesus about what had happened. They, they said to Jesus, even the demons obey us when we use your name. So this would have been an exciting and joyous time for them. Jesus had given them authority to proclaim his message to the masses. Now, there were several reasons the disciples were rejoicing. We read about that. But in verse 20, Jesus reminded them about what they should truly be joyful about. Jesus said, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. No, don't simply rejoice because of all the things that you're seeing and witnessing. He says, rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. He was saying, I know you've experienced some amazing things, but there's even greater rejoicing to be had. Don't rejoice that evil spirits obey you. Rejoice that your names are registered in heaven. Rejoice in what God has done for you. And that leads us to our first point today. If you're taking notes, there is joy in knowing that you're a child of God. There's joy in knowing that you're a child of God. If you are in Christ, knowing that you've been adopted into God's forever family is to be your deepest joy. Now, that's a big statement, is it not? There's a lot of things to be joyful about. But I would suggest today that knowing that you've been adopted into God's forever family, that is to be your deepest joy. This knowledge is the lasting joy given to us that helps us live our lives for Jesus every day. Worldly happiness is temporary. It's temporal. Physical things like money and possessions, they only bring shallow, momentary happiness. But knowing that you have been rescued and redeemed and that your name is registered in heaven is the greatest hope and the greatest joy that we can experience. And when we get this truth, when we really get it, it helps us to see life in the way that God sees it. We learn to see trials and troubles as opportunities for God to grow our character, to make us more like Christ. We learn to see conflict as an opportunity for restoration. We learn to see the great harvest in our community as an opportunity to pray, to go, and to be the ambassadors that God has called us to be. If you've believed in Jesus and have been baptized into Christ, if you've repented of your sins, confessed that belief publicly, been baptized, you, you can be sure of your salvation. That's not a phrase that we hear too often in the church these days, but I don't know why. There is assurance in our salvation. According to the Bible, this assurance rests on four unshakable truths. And so these are kind of sub-points this morning, but I want to share those with you. Truth number one is that God cannot lie. So if we read about this in his word, and God cannot lie, we can take God at his word. Amen? Throughout the New Testament, we read about God's promise to save everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. 
Now, Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God cannot lie. He is perfectly trustworthy, and his word is trustworthy. Amen? The second unshakable truth is that Jesus paid it all. I couldn't think of a better phrase. This reminded me of the hymn that we sing, Jesus paid it all. It's kind of a modern hymn. So the second unshakable truth is found in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You go all the way back to the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, written around 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. Isaiah was writing, it was a prophecy about the Messiah, and this is what he said. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5. Jesus' final words on the cross. Does anyone know what they were? It is finished. It is finished. And by saying this, he meant that the full atonement for all our sins, past, present, and future, had been made. His work was complete. It is finished. And just as salvation comes by God's grace through faith in Jesus, so does the assurance of our salvation. Billy Graham once said, no matter how great your sin, God's grace is greater still. Regardless of your your hurt, your habits, your hang-ups, God's grace is greater still. And so our assurance rests in the unshakable truth that what Jesus accomplished on the cross is enough. It's enough. Truth number three is the great helper. We can be assured of our salvation because of the great helper. What do I mean by that? Well, this comes through the gift of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, it's best for you that I go away. I would think, now wait a minute, Jesus. Why do you have to go away? I mean, we've been learning from you and walking with you. Why why do you need to leave? He said, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. That word advocate is best translated as comforter, counselor, encourager, or helper. The Holy Spirit is your helper. No preacher, no evangelist, no parent or friend can give you assurance of your salvation. Only the Holy Spirit himself can give you the absolute certainty of your salvation. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24 says, Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And then listen to this. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. How do we know that we live for God? Because, because of the spirit that he gave us. He lives in us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He encourages us. He teaches us. He gives us God's wisdom and power. He guides us into all truth. He gives us spiritual gifts. He seals our lives in Christ. He helps us in our weakness. He prays for us. Did you know that? Did you know that God the Holy Spirit prays for you? He grows good fruit in us. 
It's the Holy Spirit's inward witness that persuades us of the genuineness of our faith and the assurance of our salvation. And so one unshakable truth is the great helper. And finally, number four is your new life in Christ. Your new life in Christ. So the, un, the, the fourth unshakable truth comes through the evidence of a changed life. I would say if there is no evidence of a changed life, there can be no assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation is confirmed within us as we experience God transforming us more into the image of Jesus. Every person who's been born again will see evidence of their new life in Christ. This is an inward transformation that produces outward results. Don't miss that. The work that God does in our lives is an inward transformation that always produces outward results. There's a genuine love for God and for people. An understanding and application of biblical truth. There's righteous behavior that follows. Uh, running from temptation and sin and the fruit of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit produces in us. So I would say assurance of salvation rests on these four unshakable truths. There's joy in knowing that you're a child of God. If you're in Christ, my question for you is do you rejoice in knowing that your name is written in heaven? That should be the source of our deepest joy. There are several reasons that we should be people of joy, but this truth, I think, is at the top of the list. It's the source of our deepest joy. Number two, if you're taking notes, um, there is joy in seeing God's plans and purposes fulfilled. There's true joy in seeing God's plans and His purposes fulfilled. We'll continue in Luke chapter 10, verse 21. At that time... At that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. God's plans, his purposes were being fulfilled here. And Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The disciples were rejoicing. But Jesus found joy in the fact that God's plans and purposes were being fulfilled. And friends, our joy is found in seeing God's will be done as well. There's joy when we see our families grow in their faith, when we have the opportunity to serve God with the gifts that He's given us, when marriages in the church are strong because they're rooted in Christ. And when someone believes in Jesus and is baptized, there is so much joy in that, is there not? These kinds of things bring lasting joy into our lives, not, not just momentary happiness. But notice how Jesus expressed his joy. Because I don't think that joy is meant to just be bottled up inside. I think joy is meant to be an overflow of what God is doing in our lives. Notice how Jesus expressed his joy. He prayed these words, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you. Thank you. His joy was expressed by giving thanks to his heavenly Father for everything that he was doing. Did you know that you can express your joy to God? 
You can express your joy back to God. Uh, You go back to the Psalms. Many of the Psalms are songs and poems written by men who chose to express their joy by thanking God for what He had done. I've heard it said that if you lose your joy, you lose your effectiveness. Think about that for a moment. If you lose your joy, you lose your effectiveness. I would say that to our, our paid staff. I would say that to our, our elders, our deacons in the church. I would say that to our church members. If you lose your joy, you will lose your effectiveness. One of the ways we lose our joy is by neglecting to express that joy back to God through gratitude and thankfulness. So far this year, uh, this, this calendar year, we've celebrated four baptisms in the church, three new church members, and three baby dedications. That's something to be joyful about, is it not? <laughs> something to celebrate. Seeing God's plans and purposes fulfilled in these ways are perfect reasons to express our joy as a church family through thankfulness. As you serve in the various ministries in the church, what are some of the wins that you've seen this year? That's something we do as a staff on Monday mornings. We like to celebrate the wins. How have you seen God work this week? What is God doing in your life? We need to celebrate those things. I think churches often, you know, they're, they're great at maybe coming up with an idea, Sometimes not so great in executing it. We're pretty terrible at following up sometimes and evaluating, but we almost never celebrate. We need to celebrate more of what God is doing. Part of Dennis's visit here with us this week and, and his tour around the United States is just a reminder to celebrate what God has done, to be reminded that God is still on the throne that God, his, his, his great commission is still an everyday commission, an everyday mission for his people. Amen? Amen? There are so many reasons for us to be thankful and to express our joy to God. What are the things that are worth celebrating? I want to encourage all of our ministry leaders, all of our deacons, keep a running list of these wins that you see throughout the year. Celebrate them often with your ministry teams. Talk about them. Celebrate them. There's joy in seeing God's plans and purposes fulfilled. Number three, this will be the final point for today. There is joy in being an ambassador for Jesus. Remember from last week, that word ambassador, it simply means that we are sent out to represent Jesus to the rest of the world. If you're an ambassador for the United States, you're usually sent with a special mission to represent your country to another country as a follower of Jesus. Every single person who is in Christ is to be an ambassador for Jesus. You represent Jesus wherever you go. Jesus concluded this conversation and this prayer by speaking privately to his disciples. And so the scene shifts a little bit. He was talking to the masses to everyone who was listening, and now he shifts a little bit and he talks directly to the disciples. Uh, I I would read this as either being the 72 or maybe even uh, the 12. Luke 10, 23 and 24. Then when they were done, he turned to the disciples and said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you have seen. Blessed. There's that Greek word again, makarios. It's that 
that kind of joy that the world cannot take away. Read it that way. So much joy in seeing what you've seen. I tell you, many prophets and kings longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. They longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. And so blessed are the eyes that have seen what you've seen. Joyful are the people who see what God is doing. These disciples were living in a special time, right? We, we would have to agree about that. God's people in the Old Testament, they looked forward to the day when the Messiah would arrive and bring his kingdom. They lived faithfully with the hope that they could see what these disciples ended up seeing. They wanted to hear what these disciples ended up hearing and to be used by God in the ways that they were used. Think for a moment about the time and the place that we live today. Think about the privileged position that we are all in. These disciples were living out the New Testament. It's kind of a weird thing to think about. They were living it out. But we have the whole book. We have the whole story. And that new song that we've been singing, the, the bridge, and Jim uh, taught this to us last week, I know how the story ends. How privileged are we to be able to have the book, the entire story. We often forget the gift that God has given us of being able to hold his word in our hands. We are called to be people of the word. That is the most important kind of food that we have, is the word. Now God's word is referred to as special revelation. We've talked about this a few times. There's general revelation. We know that there's a God because of the things that he has made. But we know God's name. We know his, his names, his character, his nature. We know who we were created to be in Christ because of his special revelation to us, his word. God's word teaches us about who he is. It teaches us about the men and women who've gone before us as people of faith teaches us about how we can be saved and live the abundant life that God has created us to live. You know, we don't have to guess as to what our marching orders are or to what our purpose is in life. God's Word lays it out for us plain as day. Matthew 28, 18-20, the Great Commission, which is an everyday commission, an everyday mission for us. Jesus came and told His disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. There's that, that sending. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So as we participate in God's mission as we make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. There's joy in playing a role in God's mission. There's joy in being an ambassador for Jesus, serving God with our lives. And as difficult and messy as ministry can be, as life can be, can I share something with you that really should not come as a surprise? And I'm sure it's the same way in your life as well. As difficult and messy as ministry can be, the most joyful people that I know 
the most joyful people. You look at my list of the most joyful people in my life. The top five are the ones who have said yes to serving God with their lives. The most joyful people I know follow Jesus. The most joyful people I know are the ones who know that they are part of God's forever family. They rejoice about God's plans and his purposes being fulfilled. And they live to represent Jesus wherever they go. As I wrap up the message today, I'd like to briefly share with you four additional biblical principles that can help you walk in joy. We talk about joy, and I'm sure somewhere out there there's the question, well, how do I, how do I access this joy? How do I walk in joy? Let me quickly give you four things. I would say if you've experienced a lack of joy, these principles may, may help you. The first is that joy is found in God's presence. Joy is found in God's presence. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You will show me the way of life. We read this at the beginning. Grant me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. So there's joy found in God's presence. If you lack joy, make an effort to spend time with God, specifically through his word. And if you don't know where to start, if you need help with a reading plan or need some guidance, come and talk to me. I'd be happy to help you with that. The second thing is this. Joy is the result of righteousness. Joy is the result of righteousness. Psalm 97 verse 11 says, Light shines on the godly and joy on those whose hearts are right. Light shines on the godly and joy on those whose hearts are right. Friends, if you have unaddressed sin in your life, it will diminish your joy. If you have unrepented sin in your life, it will diminish your joy. See, when you're able to walk with God with a clear conscience, joy increases. And thankfully, you can always go to God regardless of what's going on in your life just as you are and He will offer grace and He will offer forgiveness. But joy is the result of righteousness. And so I would encourage you to examine your life this morning. Is there unaddressed sin in your life? Number three, joy is found in answered prayer. It's found in answered prayer. John 16 verse 24 says, Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So answered prayer brings joy but you can't have answered prayer if you don't pray. It's funny how that works. You can't have answered prayer if you don't pray. And you won't pray unless you focus on growing your prayer life. It's carving out intentional time in your day and or praying short prayers throughout the day to connect with God, that's a good place to start. Remember, prayer is a gift. It's meant to be our first line of offense not our last line of defense. And then finally, and I know you're probably running out of room if you're taking notes. Had a lot today for you. Joy comes when we trust the Lord. Joy comes when we trust the Lord. Psalm 40, verse 4. This point is taken right out of Scripture. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord. So placing your trust in God brings joy. We have a God who loves us more than we could ever imagine, who's more powerful than we can even comprehend, and who's promised to lead us and help us if we put our trust 
in him. And so I would say this to you in closing. I don't know what trials or troubles you're facing today. But settle it in your heart that you're going to trust God with whatever it is. Settle it in your heart this morning that you will trust the Lord. Amen.